the the one thing I like about I was thinking about like hip hop songs that we might do or like different artists that I like. And the fun part is when you actually you actually get to go to like lyricgenius.com uh-huh. to like look up look up the lyrics. And depending on like the popularity of the artist, you get like actual explanations for the lyrics are like oh this is a reference to this song or this is a reference to this marvin Gaye song this is a reference to a line from biggie i'm like okay yeah that's right it's it's a nice reminder although occasionally it's uh it'll have like the word glock will be highlighted <laughs> and you click yeah, on it's it always, and it's like and- it's always a very mixed <laughs> bag of like who's the audience here right it's like and you look at it's like glock is highlighted it's like a glock is a is a type of semi-automatic pistol manufactured by it's like yeah and you're like how are what? you listening to this like you know like gangstar song and you don't know what a glock is So, Darren, what song are we talking about? We're talking about, um, yeah, what the fuck are we talking We're talking about this song, uh, 98, by Thavius Beck, and uh, d- the MC is No Can Do. Or, as I prefer, No Condo. No Condo. Uh, That's not <laughs> what his name is, Kate. No, I, <laughs> I, know that, I know he went over this, and that's not what his name is, but the fact that it's all one word, and all and other than the N and no... It's all lowercase. And when you first sent it to me, I was like, I haven't heard this song. And I was like, Davius Beckett, okay, and No Condo. All right. No Condo. <laughs> then, yeah, like, all right, No Condo. Then, Let's see what he's then got. Like, then like a second went by, and I was like, oh, that's clearly No Can Do is no can what do. it's supposed to do. But it's the same reason of like when I'm when I'm like reading any article about like the coaches being fired in the NBA like midseason, and I see coaching carousel, but I always read it the coaching carousal. Carousal. Yeah. There are some words that just, yeah, they'll just hit you like that. Like, I know it's not right, but my mind still reads it that way without <laughs> but fail. But it's not wrong. <laughs> Carousal's a way better way to, to pronounce it anyway. <laughs> well, and it's, it rhymes with arousal, right? There's a yeah. there's a visual rhyme with arousal, so I see where well, you're... I see where your head is a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. In the gutter, <laughs> if you ask me. <laughs> All right, so what happened in 98, right? All right, so I, I know this song not – and then I know this song not because of Thavius Beck. I know this song because uh, No Kando is a sort of, I guess, legendary battle rapper from the L.A. area. Okay. I like that you're splitting the difference between no can do and no condo. <laughs> no condo. <laughs> no can do. <laughs> um, he's a dude that he, he was a battle rapper and then he actually like you can you can if you Google like he wrote this I think op ed in like the LA Times or something. Or like I don't know, maybe like the LA Weekly, like one of the shittier ones. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm. where, but he was basically like I've quit battle rapping because it's shitty and homophobic and misogynistic and I don't like it anymore, but I still like the sort of form of it. And so I'm just going to keep doing shit like this, like collaborations with DJs and, you know, one-off kind of projects. I think now he's like kind of taking music a little bit more seriously, Cool. but there was a time where he was just kind of like randomly putting out a song every now and then. And it was always like lyrically very interesting and intricate to me. So that's how I know this song. Okay. Yeah. So I went, I, since I didn't know who no can do is and, um, Thavius Beck, I actually went and looked at no can do and, um, like saw 
like one of his other one of his other tunes that uh, I thought was really cool. Um, I think it was uh, El Camino, and El Camino is a great El Camino is a great song. And I mean, it's just the whole thing of like you're having this dream of wanting you know just a piece of the pie and like all the stuff that happens. I mean, this is kind of like yep. soci- socially conscious hip hop. Um, very much so. And and the El Camino for like let's just kind of like talk about that a little bit because I can. I really do like that song. I actually thought about doing that song instead, but I thought that a song about his dad was, you don't get that perspective, no, this is a, right? We're going to, yeah. we're going to talk about songs about the crushing soullessness of the American dream, which is what El Camino is about. But this, this is just a sort of very nicely constructed ode to his father without pulling any punches, without like, you know, Without erasing any of the bad parts. Yeah, and I think it's it's um, it's an interesting song, in that uh, because of because of the way when she you know he's he's rapping about his father, all the good, all the bad, the things that he's picked up from him, and it's not typically a a topic that gets broached a lot in in hip hop and even like. Um, a lot of socially conscious hip hop. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, I think like, uh, you know, uh, Kanye common, the more popular guys that early, that at one point were really big or even Talib Kweli. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they've got some songs, but it's like the, the questions about like absent fathers or it's never necessarily like, uh, uh addressing the, the, your father in this kind of way or, you yeah, know, it's 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 maybe dedicating a few few lines to your upbringing. Yeah, like right, like Jay Z always like calls out like ah, oh, you know, like my my pop never raised me; it was my mom or right. whatever. But like, you never really get an image of like here's a complicated relationship with my father. Right. And I, like as far as I, like I don't know, maybe there are some really good songs out there that do that, but I sure as hell don't know them. All right, well, so you want to dive in? Let's dive, let's dive, dive, in? Let's let's dive, dive in. into the song. Let's go. Let's dive in. So what I love about this is that it starts with just, like, this, like, weird, like, well, first of all, the beat is is this kind of, like, arrhythmic beat. It's not, like, yeah. your standard hip-hop beat, right? It's, like, this, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, like, the, it's hitting, it's, like, 4-4 four, four time, but it's, like, the, the snare hits are not on the two and four the way that you would like yeah. expect them to be well that, they're, they're kind of giving it this almost like salsa-y groove right yeah and i think thavius beck going through uh he likes to play around with uh, a lot of this type of production style of is this kind of not necessarily like trip hop but it's it's playing around with the typical uh what you would expect from uh, a hip-hop producer it's interesting it's different it's definitely not uh, going to be, or it's not necessarily mainstream. He's trying to eschew that kind of, uh, that kind of particular sound. He has his own interesting sound. Yeah. The one thing I, w- yeah, the one thing it's... I will say is I, I do, I, I really like this beat. I really, really wish it. T- it took me a little while to get over it, but I wish he would have chosen a different. Cl- clapping sample <laughs> like the claps yeah. are so it, little, harsh yeah um that was the that was my only like qualm with the overall production as i felt like the claps were layered and put way too far forward in the mix and i was like okay the like which is what's driving this the underlying beat or these goddamn loud ass claps <laughs> <laughs> well and and i will i will uh i will defend the clap 
to this extent. I think that it works with the theme of like our bodies failing us, okay. right? <laughs> like okay. in a very literal way, it's like <laughs> the claps are failing us too. Every aspect of our body is failing us in this song. I'm 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 gonna let you ride that one out. Uh, <laughs> still gonna say, not a big fan of the claps. That is a you know you don't have to like them, but but look, I'm not a big fan of cancer. <laughs> and that's just that you know that's just a thing that happens in this song too. Yeah, <laughs> part of this song is about coming to terms with you know the betrayal of our body. <laughs> sure. And I think that the claps really do hammer that home in a very uh really in your face way. I do want to meet the person who is a fan of cancer though. Um <laughs> I guess if it, it takes exists. down like a dictator or some like horrible uh, a horrible person then like you can be a fan of that happening i think that if you're a fan of cancer you're probably a fan of just death and destruction in general right you're just like pure nihilist like you know you're you're a black pillar at that point <laughs> you're just like wipe this fucking <laughs> wipe the slate clean yeah it's like you're ultra accelerationist um yeah all right so what happened in 98? I think um, I think it's actually, to me, that, that kind of looping of what happened in 98, asking that question over and over again at the beginning of the tune, uh, that's, that, that, was really inter- that was an interesting way to open the, open the song up. Yeah, it's like he's, I felt like he's, it, he's like invoking it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then the, the little like piano-y thing comes in, yeah. that little like sample that like, it almost sounds like it's like, now we're going back in time. Like, now it's a dream. So it's like, what happened in 98? What happened in 98? What happened in 98? And then it's like, <laughs> and you're going to be like, ah, now we're going to fucking figure out what happened in 98. Okay, let's, so let's figure out what happened in 98. So I remember 98, like the breath before this one. And he's already setting up this idea of like, this is intimately bound up with like our bodies, right? This is mm-hmm. a story about breath about life, about bodies, about death. Like, it's all right there. I remember 98, like, the breath... And then also, check out the rhyme scheme, just in the first four lines. Breath before this one, death was commissioned, left of the kitchen, death wanna listen. Like, he keeps that, like, intricate multi-syllable rhyme scheme. Like, he's so good at that. It's not just, like, you know, cat, hat, bat. Like, he's just... Everything is intricately connected and layered. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is, that is, he's definitely, he's an excellent lyricist and, and yeah. rhymer. Um, so then uh, we got. And then, and then screams from the room to the left of the kitchen, right? So it's like, also, I love that it's the room to the left of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's not a specific room. It's, it's. It's where it's not. It, the, the room is defined by its absence. And I feel like his relationship with his dad is also going to be defined by that absence. Yeah. And we'll get to that. But And then the, the screams were manufactured to make the deaf want to listen. And so it's like we have breath. We have screams. We have, like, the idea of listening. Mm-hmm. Like, it, everything is this, like, sensory experience. Yes. Well, and then, and I mean, <clears throat> I think you have then moving, going beyond that <clears throat> when he goes into... Uh, his skin and liver got cancer. So you not only have mm-hmm. it's the, it, the it's your outside and your inside. It's like every all, all of these all parts of of his dad's being is being affected yeah. by this cancer. His skin, his liver, his kidneys. 
and then his lungs. His kidneys got it after. Lungs were filled with plasma. And then, you know, the bladder, and it, like, three times faster than his bladder. Like, so it's, like, almost, like, his body is in this, like, competition for who, what can have the most cancer. Right. And I think this, this is a really interesting, yeah, like... and I think this, but even that, that, that's, that, this rhyme scheme, even with these just two lines, so we have, like, four lines of rhyming, uh, of the spread out rhyme, but then right back to back, kidneys got it after, plasma faster, bladder, like, all, and it never mattered. Yeah, like, and then matter never mattered, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like, this guy, this guy's got bars. Right, and and also, again, it's mirroring the the theme, because it's like, the the spread out multisyllable stuff is like the setup, and then when this dude gets cancer, it's like, now all the rhymes come really quickly, because the cancer is coming really quickly right. and spreading really quickly. So it's just like this deluge of like, you know, cancer after plasma, bladder, lungs, like, it, just like everything is like exploding right here. Yeah. And then you got the weird claps in the background. <laughs> yeah, so you have to... just like you're like it, you're over censored. I feel like this song like it, it brings you to the limits of your sensory experience. I I would I, I would agree with that. I'm starting I'm starting to like the claps. Not really, but like I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the clap. I'm gonna by the end of this, we're gonna you're gonna convince me the claps. It's gonna are be doesn't clap, <laughs> and I'm gonna ask you. Certainly, this song claps. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a serious song to be making jokes about <laughs> i know it's so, it's so weird but so anyway um teaspoons full of morphine every day between two full moons for four weeks and again he's just doing and, and now it's time right yeah. and because time is an element of what's happening everything is happening so fast and everything is being measured out right we get teaspoons full of stuff and then he I, poor me i could barely afford sleep I can say I, I, do, right. I do want to point out that you know you you mentioned that he uses battle rapper that teaspoon teaspoons full of morphine every day between two full moons for four weeks. Poor me, that is such a battle rap cadence. Oh yeah, yeah. He you he's a total battle rapper, right? Where it's like all you have in battle rap is your lyricism and your presentation of those lyrics to to compel an entire audience to listen to you and to like you more than another guy who's also doing that. Right. Right. And so it's like, yeah, you, you, there's no more, you can't be fucking Migos, right? Like you can't be, you can't just be going like, da, 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 da. Yeah. Like you have to be insanely intricate, both with your lyrics and with your meaning and everything. And like, yeah, it is very clear that this dude just has that, you know, has worked on that craft for, for a long enough time that it, now it just kind of pours out of him. Yep. So I bear I could barely afford to sleep while the scream storms ran razors in your body in your boy's dreams at fourteen. And that, that's so good. That is like I could I could barely afford poor me, I could barely afford sleep. Is yeah. like this great like first of all, it's a great rhyme, but then also like just the idea of he almost like it's an exchange value at this point. Yes. My and, and sleep again is like a bodily function, but it's also like because of his stress at like watching his father fall apart, he's like you just see him, right? The screams stormed ra- rain razors in your boy's dreams at 14. This is sort of beautifully tragic imagery. Yes. I mean, and that, and that, that term between poor me and afford sleep is just so that like, there are only two genres to me that consistently do such a good 
turn a phrase or like giving you double meanings with the lyrics and that's and that's hip-hop and country music they both love doing that you think there are only two genres that do i think that do it consistently that like that is like a mainstay of what they do yeah like that is like a that is a feature not just uh of a lot of songs not just you know, occasionally being done. Like, yeah, there's definitely lots of other songs and lots of other genres that will use kind of wordplay like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like it's yeah. I think I think you're right though that it's 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 definitely something that those genres sort of hold in higher regard than like a typical pop song. Yeah, I'll buy that. So I was, and then at the end of that, you get I was listening, and he's listening to the screams, mm-hmm. but it's like also this idea of like I. I was paying attention to this. Yep. This was something that was very important to me, right? Like I was, I w- my mind was opened to this experience and I, it, it changed me in some way. Cause then it's, I've never say, seen change as quick as this, which is another great little double meaning with, you know, I've never seen someone's body change as quickly right. as my father's, but then also I've never seen myself have to change yep. my life circumstances as much as this. Right. Yeah. Because could you imagine at 14 and you're just, like, watching your father die? Yeah, that's... I would imagine that you're just feeling all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah, I can't imagine what, you, what you'd what be feeling at this point in time. Just to, to watch somebody waste away so quickly, especially at such a young age, um, to then have to deal with your father's death. And I can understand, I mean, this in this next line, must have been some sort of cosmic trick. Like, that is... Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it's got to feel. Is it something from above something from the universe is messing with you to to make you have to not only lose your father when you're 14 but watch him be rapidly consumed by his own body yeah yeah and then must have been some sort of cosmic trick because i was said to live with him for discipline mom got her wish yeah which is this great sort of like you know, she sent you th- that classic sort of like, you're going to live this summer, you know, you're going to go this summer to live with your father because you're an unruly, you know, shit 14 year old and he's going to teach you how to be a man. And it's like, oh, mom, you don't know the half of it. Like, this is, he is, he is, this is a lesson that no one ever thought would happen, but it is, it's teaching me something. Well, it's, and it's teaching us, and then this, that next line of, and now he's a walking stick is not only describing his father, but that is that discipline is embodied by yes. his father, that his father is the embodiment of discipline while also just being, I assume, completely emaciated by this disease. Yeah, yeah. And again, a nice little double meaning. He's a walking stick. Like, he's this, you know, he's, well, he, first of all, he's, yeah, he's emaciated, but then he's also like this crutch, right? right? He's this thing that... uh that I have that I have to lean on, but then also like the walking stick as tool for discipline. Like he is this thing that, you know, this is this experience is hurting me more than any sort of like whip or lash possibly could. Absolutely. His feet his feet swelled till his house shoes decided not to fit. I like that now the shoes are making the decisions. <laughs> yeah. It you know and it probably to this kid like it feels like that because. He's not making any decisions, and the father isn't making any decisions. So, like, right. the people aren't making decisions. It's just this, like, these inanimate objects that seem to be bearing down on things. Like, well, shit, now now his shoes don't fit. What do we do about that, right? Yep. Like, goddamn these shoes. Like, you you know when you, like, trip on something and you blame the thing that you trip exactly. on? Exactly. 
yeah, th- this is this is everything. Uh, it seems to be throughout this song we've been, uh, or throughout these lyrics, it's this these things that are being set upon uh, no can do and his and his father is between the cancer and how it's both effect- affecting both of them are in a way that is outside and in a way is completely outside of their control. The shoes not fitting his father anymore is not his father can't control that. It, it might as well be the shoes decided to become smaller and not fit him anymore uh, with the amount yeah, exactly. of control they have over the situation. I was smoking pot an awful lot and not a bit. Right, like, I, like it, it's like, <laughs> this is like a weird, I, I thought about this line, for, I've been thinking about this line for a while, and the idea, like, I'm, I, I don't even know what my daily activities consist of. Yeah. Right, like, I, like, this is happening in such a way where I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm either smoking a lot of pot or I'm not, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe not. But and then the the cigarettes where he he I started with a box of his that he left in the glove box once he'd gotten sick is such just I could just see myself as a 14 year old kid doing. that. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Sneaking into your sick dad's glove box and being like, oh, look at these cigarettes. He's not going to need these. Yeah. Well, I remember I remember being you know, this is something that like I identified with when you know when I was 14 and I was going to a bunch of like uh, basement punk shows and stuff like that. It's just bumming cigarettes off of all the older kids. Yeah. And it's like this is totally something that that is the age you, you would pick this up. And, you know, I'm sure his father didn't have the energy to smoke a cigarette or even go out to his car and get that pack of cigarettes. And he, you know, he, he's picking something up from his father. He's being, his father is unbeknowingly introducing him to cigarettes. Right. Which, you know, obviously ties in with the cancer. And mm-hmm. so like, we don't know that he got cancer from cigarettes, but there is this sense of like, and now I'm sneaking out, and, and the cigarettes are helping me cope with the cancer, but they're also the thing that is potentially responsible for the cancer. Yep. Right? And so it's this, you know, and the sort of classic addiction model of you use the thing that that is hurting you to alleviate the thing that is hurting you. <laughs> Absolutely. And for, for folks who have never had a cigarette before, as somebody who is trying to quit, like, there is nothing more satisfying when you are incredibly stressed to just take five minutes and smoke a cigarette uh, between like the nicotine rush and the just constantly taking these deep breaths. Like it's such a calming effect. And so I can totally understand like you're dealing with this in- incredibly stressful moment of life that smoking a cigarette has is probably one of the more wonderful feelings he could be getting right now. Right. And it, it bonds your brain to that, yeah. right? Like it bonds your brain to this is the thing you do when you're stressed. This, right? And so then it's like every time you're stressed, which because life sucks is all the time, <laughs> then you're you're always like, oh, uh, like let me get a let me reach for a cigarette because that's the thing that I know can help me through this tough time. Yep. Really quick, back to uh, stealing cigarettes. Did you so so. I didn't ever bum cigarettes at, like, the Nile Theater or whatever, but I do have this very weird memory of uh, my friend Will. He, he had, like, a... he Kind of like you, he had, like, a very old dad. Yeah. Um, which was actually, now that I think about it, maybe it wasn't his dad, it was his grandpa. My dad was a grandpa when I was a kid. Your dad was a grandpa, <laughs> but... 
I don't know if Will just had an old dad or he had a grandpa, but whatever he had, he had someone in his house that smoked a pipe. Oh, wow. And when we were in, like, fucking middle school, we would steal his pipe. And, like, because it was just like, fuck it. You know, we're, sh- we're shitbags, and we're going to, like, you know, skateboard behind the Vons, and then we're going to steal this dude's pipe and like smoke his <laughs> you're 13 year old kids you're just, like smoking out of a pipe you're you were a nerd man there's no... i was i was a nerd man you couldn't you couldn't, couldn't hide it he was like I, i'm sorry like at the age of 13 smoking a pipe i'm like all right dude like that's 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 bougie as fuck <laughs> Wait, you think smoking a pipe is bougie? Hell yeah, it is. Who the hell fucking smokes pipes, man? If you're not a sailor aboard some merchant marine vessel or like a right, crab boat. that's the point. It's not bougie. <laughs> we weren't like going oh. and like buying lattes. Bougie <laughs> is a very different concept. Yeah, or, this was, or we you're were stealing some old man's pipe or this, or you're you're fucking s- weird. Or you're some <laughs> member of like, or in your case, you're, you're some member of like the professional managerial class who like smokes a fucking pipe. Like... There are two people. Who does that, though? That's not a thing. That's 100% a stereotype of, like, professors. Smoking a pipe is something that literally nobody, like, under the age of 90 does. (laughs) There's no no class implications anymore. There's historical implications. If you ask four out of five people, like, who smokes a pipe, they will not come back. They will all say, like, yeah, that's bougie. I guarantee it. I put my money on it. There's there's no fucking Absolutely. way. Absolutely, it, it's a lot of things, but it is not bougie. <laughs> it is not a it is not a marker of the you know the, the, the landed property classes to do something like that. Hey, uh, it's just it's fucking weird. It's a dumb thing that you do when you're 13 because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You know what? We're gonna have to leave it at that because I feel like we can have a, a 20 minute argument. Is low? No, let me ask you this. Let me all ask right, you this all question. Right, all right. All right. Is Sherlock Holmes, is he bougie? Fuck yeah. He's bougie? He's bougie. (laughs) (laughs) If you smoke smoke a pipe and you are not like a longshoreman or a sailor of some sort, it's bougie. So wait a minute. I just want to clarify what you just said. You said if you smoke a pipe and you are not a longshoreman or a sailor of some kind, then it's bougie. So in other words, if you're not working class and you smoke a pipe, then you're bougie. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I will buy that. (laughs) What a weird caveat. (laughs) It's a very specific. But no, if you're not like a sea-based working class individual... If you're if you're like some like working class dude in the middle of America, still bougie. I don't care. If as long if you make if you, <laughs> you have to if you li- if you live or die by the fortunes of the sea, it's not bougie. <laughs> well, I I did live in Southern California, which was you know a good forty five minute drive to the, to the docks. <laughs> already way off the rails this is this is this is is a hell of a digression (laughs) all right all right so where are we so so he he steals the cigarettes from his dad i think it's a cool detail it's a very it's a it's a no it's a great detail regardless of what people just listened to for the last 10 minutes it's a great detail (laughs) all right we we only got a two-month head up heads up 
the first one was hospital visits. The next one was a back full of bed sores. That's like a yeah. Oh man, that is a hell of a progression in two months. I know, and this is like yeah. I mean, like it, it's very much whatever happened happened very quickly, right? It, it's like you know we. Something's wrong. Let's go to the hospital. Oh my god! Now what? Okay, now it's a back full of bed sores. Like he cannot even get out of yeah, bed. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is. I, this is now we're now we're building more of this picture of. So the the lyrics before this, you know, made it feel as though things were happening quickly. But you know, when you think back at being fourteen, you know, life was flashing by when you remember that stuff. But now we're we've got an actual timeline. This is two months from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And then his legs numb with bloody lips and a cancer smell. Oh, what a weird. Yeah. Like, I, do, I, do don't, know ha- I don't know what a cancer smell is. Like, I don't know what that smells like, but that is so oddly specific. Yeah. That it's like, th- there's got to be something. So, there, you know, I, I mean, my mom was a nurse and by the end of her career was working with a lot of like end of life patients. And there is this very. I don't even know like how to describe it because like it's not quite like a nursing home or going into uh, like an elder care facility, but it's very similar and it's it's very it's very distinct. You know, it, I, I don't want to say it's it doesn't like it doesn't necessarily. I don't really know what death smells like, but like this is death adjacent. Yeah, yeah, no, and then and I love so so we get all this like insanely good. And, and tragic imagery, right? And, and you get the cancer smell. And then he just says, and I'm sad as hell. Yeah. And it's the first time he ever really comments on how he's feeling about it. And he com- he says it in the way that a 14-year-old would, would say mm-hmm. it. All this stuff is happening, and I'm just, I'm very sad about it. Like, I, I there's no expression of processing it or understanding it. It's just, here's here's what's happening and I don't have any words for it other than I'm sad as hell. Yeah. And I think, and that kind of, what were you gonna I, I was going to say that's, that was, that line stuck out to me so much because you, he is, he's making a choice to use and I'm sad as hell. Like clearly in, if you'd never heard of no can do before this song or even listen to any of his other stuff, clearly this guy can paint a lyrical picture for you very easily. But, that simple statement and I'm sad as hell just works so well right here. Yeah. He he doesn't try to do the like the thing that a lesser writer would try to do, where they would like try to describe their emotions in some like flowery language, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, No, I need to tell you what I was feeling and I I have no other way to say it other than I'm sad as hell. Yeah. And that kind of opens this the rest of this up into like until this point, until I'm sad that and I'm sad as hell, it's really like a story about him and his dad in these two mm-hmm. months. And then it sort of like opens up into this sort of almost like his father's existence, right? Because it's I wish I heard the stories you never had a chance to tell. And then like he's he's sort of now, yeah, we still have him dealing with his family, mm-hmm. right? It like it sort of opens out into his family. So, his sisters watch his mom in pain, whisper, not again. Every night he asks for help. On that day he got his way, my grandpa, aunt, and I watched him scream the whole evening. If I'm not mistaken, I think I've seen his soul leaving. It's like there was the two months of, of 
waiting for it. Mm-hmm. And then now it's like the family is gathered around and no one can do anything and they're just watching this man die. Yeah. And then it pivots back to he's talking to his mom and he's on the phone and his eyes are gushing mid-sentence for seemingly no reason. And so now we're still back to the sort of involuntary bodily functions, but now it's about him. Yeah. Until then, it was about his dad, right? It was about hearing his dad screaming and hearing, watching his dad be in pain. And now it's, oh, this is about me. Like, this, is, this experience, it was about him, but it's also about me. We could have overflowed a stream for the whole season, and, I th- and then I'm on the porch slow breathing, thinking, why did you die tonight? Eyes too dry to cry. Yeah. Right? He's like, now it's like, now his body won't even do, like, it won't even be sad. It's not even cooperating with his, you know, desire to be sad. Yeah, you're just, you're just so emotionally drained from everything mm-hmm. you've just experienced that you are, <clears throat> you're, you're, you're numb, to, to say the least. I think, yeah. I think a lot of, you know, most folks can, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a parent dying, but to have that feeling of being so broken and so sad that your brain literally runs out of the chemicals needed to actually express any sort of emotion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then we get this, almost this great little message of uh, like, you know, these two homies come by, right? The, The two homies. Yeah. They come by not to get me high to my surprise. I sacked it up. Right when I had enough of acting tough, I asked who had the blunt. The answer was, quit pretending like it's all good and gravy acting cool. I'd be going crazy. Right? And so then it's like, like you're hanging out with your friends, and you're just trying to act like everything's normal. And yeah. they're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, just, it's okay, man. Like, your fucking dad just died. I just, I just, you don't need to act like things are normal. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that this is, uh, these two friends of his are far more emotionally mature than... Yeah, I have no idea how old these 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 two people would be, but I mean, I think right. I, I my I, my take would be that they're about his age, right? Yeah, they're, they're also fourteen or so. Yeah, and to, and to yeah, because I, I would think when I was fourteen, if somebody was going through this, and they just wanted things to, <clears throat> if they just started acting like things were normal or just wanting to go have a good time or whatever, my I think my 14-year-old brain would be like, okay, this is what this person wants or needs. I'm not right. going to necessarily press them to talk about it. Yeah, I don't know. I think that like there, there's this weird sort of like, I get it because he wants to be tough, right? Sure. Like he's still 14 and he's like, I want to like not show them this. And I think that probably what's going on is that, that his friends are picking up on this. And they're like, all right, he's, something's very wrong. Yeah. Look, like, you don't need to do this. And so then, but, like, I, I think that I agree with you. Like, I would never have been this mature as a 14-year-old <laughs> to be like, oh, dude, something is going wrong with you. Why don't you tell me about it? I'm barely this mature as a 33-year-old, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, yeah. This, this is some next-level maturity of his friends. Yeah. And so then he opens up to his friends. He says, I told him we were never close, but lately maybe this experience helped raise me. Yeah. And that's that I think is like the the goosebumps line for me mm-hmm. in this song. In a song that is actually full of goosebumps lines. Yeah. The the idea that like, look, I wasn't really close to my dad. Like I was here for a summer, right? I was here for like two months, and all I really did was watch him die. Yeah. But that is something that is gonna help me in a weird way in life. And like 
I, I feel conflicted by this idea. I don't think that, like, tragedy necessarily, like, makes you, like, a better person. I think it gives you experience handling mm-hmm. tragedy, which is something that humans need to do. But I don't think that it that there's anything sort of... That there's anything necessarily good about going through a tragedy, right? I think a lot of people say that there's this idea of, like, oh, well, I, you know, that, that experience made me stronger. And it could be, but it's also, like... I don't know that we need those experiences to make us stronger. But I also think that this is the narrator's way of kind of saying, this was the thing that I was latching onto, right? Because everything else was so bleak that I need something to believe in right now. And the thing that I'm going to believe in is that this experience is going to make me a better person. And I've definitely been in that situation before. Sure. So I would, you know, I would take this, the, the other tack, and I would slightly disagree with you. I, th- I think the way in which most people interpret or deal with tragedy doesn't necessarily make you a better person and does indeed just make you better at potentially coping and potentially in very unhealthy ways coping with tragedy. I know from my own self, it's like there's lots of ways and lots of tragedies that I've experienced that like I don't, I didn't never dealt with in a healthy manner, but I think you have the situation of he is attempting to cope with this acting tough, acting cool. His friends call him out on it. And then he has this moment of, you know, reflection and, and speaking his mind and, and putting out his actual feelings into the world. And I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's a way of coping with a tragedy of processing your feelings and learning how to deal with them that can indeed make you a better person or make you at least more emotionally healthy, which I think anybody who's more emotionally healthy is tends to be a better person than the previously unhealthy way in which he's dealing with it by just trying to um, literally, you know, you know, sack it up and act tough. Like that's, that's not going to be the best way to deal with this in the future. That's going to be a trauma that's going to come back to uh, haunt you. Right. And I think, yeah, it's interesting because it's like the experience helped raise me, but maybe it's more like his response to the experience and the fact that he had these friends of his that were able, that he was able to talk to about this. Yeah. Those were really the things that helped raise yeah. him, right? That, that he can now go, oh, I know the things that that happen, and I know the things that I do, and I know my tendencies, and you can learn from that and grow from that so that the next time you deal with tragedy, you can deal with it a little bit more mm-hmm. healthily, then yeah, I do think that that is an experience that you can take from this. But it's just, I think that sometimes we convince ourselves that it's like the thing that happened was almost like this necessary coming of age like growing thing that you had to go through Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it's not it's just like the universe is kind of random and does awful things to you sometimes but that's something that always happens throughout your life and you just have to figure out how to deal with that in a way that is as healthy as you can yeah i I would agree with that and then i think that he right after this really gets to the heart of it where he says at least I got to learn that my father was a car salesman and could play any instrument by ear. We'd go fishing, buy beef jerky, Coca-Cola, and dry beer. He taught me how to stay warm in the cold and a couple of life game codes. Like, he's now like, you know what I got out of this is not just this experience, mm-hmm. but the memories of this guy. Yeah. I at least had this one last very strange summer that had some things about it that I'll always remember. Yeah. But it's never like, you know, 
I loved him or there was this great connection, right? It's like this weird thing of like, we weren't close. Yeah, he didn't know what his father did he, for a living. Yeah, like, yeah, this idea of like, I found out for the first time that my father was a car salesman and that he had this talent of playing instruments. I didn't ever know that until the summer that I watched him die. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy. Like, that's a pretty... I mean, that's such a mindfuck to think about your relationship with your dad being like that. But I think that that's true of a lot of people. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, they have no idea. Even people who like, so it sounds like in this case, we're dealing with a, a broken home where mom and dad are not living together because she sends him to live with his father. And right. There's like, they're not living together, but they're still connected in some yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. So, but then you see so you have the situation where he's made it to 14 years old and he doesn't know anything about his, his father. And I, I have friends of mine that they didn't know, you know, they, they, they would say something, they were talking to their dad or they're talking to their dad's friends and find out it's like, Oh yeah, your dad used to like to do this. It's like, what? I had no idea. My dad used to play guitar or I had no idea. My dad used to be a grateful dead fan or like whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. Like you learn these things about your parents that they just either, you know, didn't tell you or you didn't see them enjoying it and it, it comes out but this is even you know for this case it's it's he wasn't living with his father or what potentially wasn't even raised by his father much to the point of he had no idea what he did had no idea they could play instruments like it's a it's a to me this entire conversation he's having with his friends is incredibly enlightening and and really like heartwarming in a certain way yeah no, and that's and that's it's really great that that's kind of how this song ends, right? Is is this sort of like we're now out of the realm of the failing bodies, right? And the and the sort of spreading of cancer and the screaming in the rooms and things like what we have now is a just sort of genuine connection between the narrator and these two homies mm -hmm. that where he's just like, yeah, like th this is this is what I'm taking away from this experience. And then the very last line, and at least made me make plans to get past 39 years old. I, I want to, I see his life and I see it almost as a negative model. I see it as a model of like, this is not the way that I want my life to go. Right. And, and that could mean, you know, I want to be there for my kids or, you know, whatever. But it's just like this idea of like, I don't want to go out like this guy. I looked at this and I just said, fuck, I don't want that. And that's, I think, the experience that helped raise him. Yeah, I, and I think that's, uh, I you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily, because I feel every single day of your life, you're meeting people, maybe not every day of your life, but you're, you're always meeting people throughout your life that are older than you, and you see how their life turned out. And there's a little bit of like, how do you want your life to end? How do you, where do you want to be when you get to their age? And for this one, it's such a visceral response, a visceral case of being exposed to his father going through all this horrible stuff at the age of 39 years old. Mm -hmm. And he's very much like, whatever I do, I'm going to get past this. I'm going to make it to 40 and beyond. And I'm going to have, and I'm, and I, now I know I have to make a plan to get there. And then it just, he just, starts saying i remember 98 yeah. right so now we're like back to now he's and i don't know exactly when this song came out i like i, I want to say probably 
2006. Yeah. So he's looking back. He's only looking back about eight years, yeah. right? But that the difference between 14 and 22 is is massive. Yeah. Also, this makes me feel terrible that this dude wrote this when he was 22. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was, wow. I was, like, wow. I'm, I, I, you know, 10 years later, I'm still <laughs> nowhere near as good of a lyricist or writer as this is. Or as, like, thoughtful of a person. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Gabe. Gabe. Darren. Does this song slap? I still hate the claps. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think it slaps. Yeah, I think this song slaps. This song definitely slaps. Next time on Does It Slap, we'll be talking about Juice by Lizzo. You can find Does It Slap on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, shit, just about everywhere. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends and give us a five-star rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. The reviews will help other people find the podcast. In your review, feel free to tell us what song you want us to give the slap treatment. Who knows? We might just add your favorite song to the slap canon. Follow us on Twitter at Does It Slap Pod. Our theme music is provided by the patron saints of slap, New Junk City. Find a link to their band camp down in the episode description. Our cover art is done by Jeremy Hammond. Find him on Twitter at Jeremy Thunder. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Boom, and we're out. If you're any more.